my name is Mariam Jam. I am the founder of I Am The Code. Welcome to the I Am The Code podcast. Thank you for listening and sharing our podcast. We do appreciate your support, your love, and your kindness. We are getting ready for International Day of the Girl. And this year team is my voice, my equal future. Our girls need a voice because their future depends on it. Last year, I was in Kakumo refugee camp. Kakumo refugee camp is the home of over 200,000 refugees. And our girls live there. I went with over 11 people to celebrate International Day of the Girl. It was inspiring, amazing, and we've learned so much. Unfortunately, with COVID restrictions, I can't go this year. So we're gonna have to do our events virtually. I really do hope you can join us to learn more from the girls We've got beautiful photos that we're going to be sharing on our Instagram. Please go and have a look at it. We're also planning October 10th, which is a mental health day. You know, at I Am The Code, being open about your mental health is really important to us. I suffered mental health many years. It's lonely. Sometimes you don't know who to talk to. You hide it because you're not sure if people will receive it well. But my advice is always talk. Try to get a friend. Talk to somebody about how you feel. Do not stay alone by yourself because it could be that someone could actually help you and listen to your stories or just give you a big, big, big hug. So please seek help when you're feeling sad, feeling lonely, talk to someone. We do recommend self-care and looking after oneself to our girls globally. We care about their mental health and their well-being. As coders, and as future tech leaders, just like my guest this week, Alex Benet. He has one of the most incredible minds in digital evolution. Alex currently serves as a partner with KPMG in Canada, where he leads the National Digital Transformation practice helping government and Fortune 500 companies. Previously, Alex was the Chief Information Officer of Canada and led the government plans in the area of technology, people and business change. We both sit on the board of the World Wide Web Foundation. We're very, very proud of it and are very passionate about technology policies that, that are inclusive and making a difference. Alec has many initiatives which focuses on artificial intelligence, national privacy and cybersecurity. Please join me to listen to Alex Bene. He's an amazing guy. I really hope you enjoy my conversation with him. I will see you on the other side. Alex, good morning. I don't know where you are. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm doing great. I'm in Ottawa, Canada, getting ready for the winter and uh, dealing with COVID as, as everybody else is, I'm sure. Would you mind telling the boys and girls who you are? Uh, well, my name is Alex Benet. I uh, work in tech. Uh, I have two beautiful children. My daughter is 20 and my son is 16. I'm uh, married a second time over now for uh, 10 years this year. Uh, history graduate. Uh, love ice hockey, you know, because you're Canadian. You almost have to. Um, and uh, enjoy outdoors. There you go. 
<laughs> podcast done over it's <laughs> so you know I, i always said to people why i invite them on the podcast so our podcast is being listened to by so many people now you know we, we set it up uh, during covid 19 so i think you've done two things for me i think the first thing um when we went to canada i was in i came to canada to be part of the board meeting of the of the web foundation and uh, i was so nervous because i didn't you know know the city i didn't know you know nobody in the room but you were really so kind and and inclusive and open and uh you know you were minister i think i need to tell uh, the boys and girls that you know you had a you know a uh, you know a job in government and i remember getting very nervous in talking to you but you were so kind and and you like hey how are you doing you know um and and i remember i remember that kindness and what we say to our girls is it's always important to be open and kind to people uh, and i will never forget that and uh, and that's one of the reason i wanted to invite you is really your openness and and your kindness and the second the second uh, bit is you know i see the work you done in your country um and it's really amazing uh you know the position you took to not only uh reinvent yourself but you actually as you know help your government uh but now you're also changing the ecosystem in in Canada and i just wanted to uh say those are the reason why we wanted to invite you so you, know, you are a role model to so many people across the world and i wanted to invite you so you can come in and talk to the boys and girls oh thank you well so thank you for the kind you. words <laughs> good start this is a good start thank you <laughs> so 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 yeah i i i know you like going to the lake Do you, yes. know, do you want to tell the boys and girls what is a lake? They may not know what a lake is. So in Canada, we only have about two or three months of warm weather. Uh, the rest of the time, it's 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 a bit colder. Uh, so when we do get a lot of uh, straight uh, warm weather, we tend to to go out out of the city and into the country a bit more. We're fortunate in Canada to have a lot of freshwater lakes and rivers. Uh, also, very fortunate to be. Uh, on the side of the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean. So there's a lot of opportunities for Canadians to get out in nature. Uh and so one of the things I enjoy doing is uh, is uh going out to the lake uh with my family. My my son fishes, I don't. I enjoy eating fish, but fishing is too complicated for me and I'm actually not that patient. We take long walks, we go swimming, we have a boat. We're fortunate to have a boat. We just park it in the water and just go jumping in the water and float around all day. So it's it's quite refreshing and it takes you away from you know if you're fortunate enough to 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 be in Canada and have access to lakes and rivers and you should you should be on them as much as possible i guess because it does take <laughs> you away from you know the daily grind and especially in covid times in the summer it was nice to actually get out and and how are you coping with the covid how how was it for you? what was the last event you did before covid i know you travel a lot yeah we so my wife and i had been saving for this trip for a long time and it was our 10th wedding anniversary and uh we always wanted to go into the indian ocean into the maldives um and so we did that uh, we did that in mid march um you know right at the beginning of when the world was starting to to change um and then we flew back through france uh in paris and we were the flight last flight out before macron announced uh wow. that uh, they were shutting down france it was very bizarre Uh, we were very careful and safe as we it felt like we were riding a wave all the way back into Canada as all the borders were shutting down so it was uh, we were fortunate to be able to be one of the last ones to travel i mean i i'm lucky i come from a, a privileged upbringing you never think that this kind of weirdness would set into the world you just kind of assume that things will be the way they are forever and 
yeah, this was very much an interesting exercise of, uh, um, of uh, I had so many different realms. Mm-mm. It was, it's, it's fascinating really. I mean, so you guys, after the holiday, you came home, you came home, right? Yeah, we were home and, uh, you know, we hadn't seen the children in three, four weeks at that point. And then we had to self-isolate for a couple more Then we thought maybe I had COVID. I had to get tested, which, um, not, not a pleasant test for people when they shove this long tube up your nose, yep. tickle your, tickle your brain <laughs> a bit. Um, uh, the worst, the worst part is, is the poor lady after she was done the test, she dropped the stick on the ground. Oh no. And she's like, we have to do it again. Do you want to do it in the other nostril? And I was like, heck no, you're going to go back into that. Like, just go where the pain is already there. You're not going to cause... Anyway, so so we had to wait around a couple more weeks for that. So we didn't end up seeing the children for two, three months. That was uh, that was that was tough. That was tough. Oh, That's no. probably the longest we've been apart. Yeah, it's uh, but you know what? It ended up being all, all good in the end. So. so you said they are 20 and 16 years old. So what do they do then? What do they, what do, they do, the children? My oldest is in university studying communications here mm-hmm. in Ottawa. Uh, very fortunate in Ottawa. We have quite a few universities and colleges, so she had ample choice. My youngest is still in high school, uh, so he's in grade 10. He's he's a musician. I have no idea who he gets it from because nobody in our family, like no one. You have this rock and rock and style, Alex. I'm sure. telling you. <laughs> okay, well it's all it's all fake because like I tried playing guitar for six months at the beginning of COVID and I failed. So, uh, but he no he's uh, he's very much into uh, uh, flying uh, and uh, the art the Air Force uh, cadets. So it's like yeah. like and so he does that and he's a he's a musician. He plays drums in a oh, wow. in a Scottish bagpipe and drum. Uh, ben, we, we were supposed, to, yeah, we were supposed to go to Scotland this summer for World Championships, and they got canceled. So again, like all first world problems in that yeah. sense of like, yeah. but it's thrown a lot of stuff for a loop in their lives too, like virtual school and not seeing their friends and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah, everybody's been adjusting to it, like everybody else. Oh, wow, you know, it's really amazing. You know, we so the podcast is listened to by um, refugees and boys and girls across the world. We've been very lucky recently that so many people are. Tell, you know, you know, saying really how the podcast has been helping them. But I know you always talk about, you know, you're very humble, you, you're very modest, and you always talk about, you know, how lucky you are. Do you mind just telling the boys and girls, uh, you know, about your youth? Where did you grow up, and and how did you make it here? My father and uh, is in the military, so he spent 36 years in the, in the Canadian Armed Forces, and uh, we we were from very humble background, and it's called it's a part of Quebec, which is a province here in Canada. Uh, I'm biased, so it's. I find it's the most beautiful province because of its diversity. I think so However, too. They speak French. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. So, uh, and they love food and they love the outdoors. So you put all those things together. It's. I'm in. A, I'm in a good place there. But so he uh, was in the military. We moved around a lot, but he uh, started off. He never started. He ended up being an officer, but started off in the in the lower ranks of the military. So we had, you know, we we didn't have as much as other families. If I'm being honest. Um, so we we started off, you know. My, my parents would make my clothes. And, um, you know, I remember uh, eating uh, you know, the same thing a lot and it's okay. And they, they, like, they gave us so many experiences of being able to travel around the world as a result of it. We lived in Europe, we lived in all parts of Canada mm-hmm. uh, and I got to see the world early. And that, that was probably one of the most defining things in my life. And um, so, so that kind of shaped me and in large part into the person I am. And I think the second thing that really had an impact was, uh, well, I had a child at 19. <laughs> so, oh, wow. so when I was 18, 19, I found out my, my girlfriend of uh, three months was pregnant. We, she decided to keep the baby. I uh, decided to support her. Uh, we were fortunate to have parents that were very supportive. You know, we each finished college and university and 
we're not no longer together now. Uh, we're all friends. In fact, it's it's a blessing and a curse to have my ex-wife and my best and my wife be very close friends. <laughs> means, uh, means that shows that you decide. are a very good man, Alex. <laughs> yeah, well, I, it just means I don't get to con- decide a lot of things around my own house, but that's okay. Um, it's better for everybody that way. So, so that's actually something that's you know, a I wanted to be involved in global things and continue to see the world, and b I when my friends were out going out and partying and living the good life in their early 20s i was working a few jobs and finishing university and and changing diapers so um you know those are those are things that shape you so and then that kind of helped me throughout my career frankly because i realized that i don't think i will ever be as tired as i was during that period of time where i was working two jobs going to university full time raising a, a newborn and living in my in-laws which are great people but it's still living with your in-laws for quite a few <laughs> years so you can't walk around you know in your underwear like you would in your own house kind of thing right you want to be respectful of your in-laws so so there's just little things Whoa, like that so so, so so those are foundational things but yeah i've been fortunate in my career that those things helped kind of shape where i where i've been working and kind of the north star that i oh. follow for my jobs and are you do you have any siblings i do i have a younger brother he's uh he's uh, four and a half years younger he uh he's a teacher uh, both him and his wife are teachers here in, in canada um which is what i wanted to be originally when i grew up uh and uh that did not work out um for a whole bunch of different life reasons so mm-hmm. the, he he's amazingly patient uh quiet thoughtful We're kind of polar opposites. He's tall, skinny, quiet. I'm short, a bit rounder, and a bit loud. <laughs> um, so, 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 yeah. So, so those are the siblings. And uh, my wife comes from a family of five children. Okay. Uh, by Canadian standards, that's pretty big. Um, oh. You know, normally they they we have one to three siblings, and five is pretty big. And she has a twin sister, so identical twin sister. So, uh, so yeah. So it's it's always busy around here. Let's just put it that way. That's really amazing. And uh, and how was your formative education like then? Did you enjoy going to school? For me, university was a release. Um, high school was horrible. So I don't know about um, all the age groups of the people listening to this podcast. In the 18 but, plus year, they they elevate from 11 years old. <laughs> yeah. So so you know, I I don't know a lot of people around the world actually uh, and i've had this conversation a few times where people were like i loved high school <laughs> high school high school seems to be this one thing where there's so much growing up there's so much change going on there's so much like you know um so for me high school was tough because i moved around a lot um so i i didn't get to fit in with any of the cliques that you know in any of the groups of friends that had been formed since elementary school i didn't have that so you were always coming in new um so that was tougher but university for me was a bit of a release in the sense that i could go and not you know, for a period of time, not worry about, you know, I need money to get the diapers or, um, you know, for, for, for my daughter and, and other things. So, so that was very much fun. If I would have stayed in university a long time and done history, if it wasn't for the fact that I need to get a job and kind of, kind of get out, like the, the burning desire was to move away from my in-laws' place, which were super generous just for the record in case they ever yeah. listened to this. Yeah. They were super generous. I just, you know, we just needed our own space as a married couple. So, so that was always the priority. So, so, but it was, it was definitely fun. Um, no idea how I ended up from history to tech. Uh, but you know, just goes to show that sometimes, you know, life has, uh, has different, <laughs> different, uh, d- d- different intent for people that than what they, than what they have it for themselves when they set out their journey. One of the things I've, I've, I've noticed, um, about you now now you're saying your dad was in the army i can see that you're very disciplined i can see that even on in your attitude very straightforward that, that's really amazing but did you have like some challenges when you were growing up 
you know, like, the, you know, what was the most challenging thing you had to overcome as a young man? I think it's a double-edged sword when your family moves around a lot. I think the things I got to experience living in Europe, I, I never would want to take back. And, and other military children go through the same thing. So you tend to band together pretty quickly. Um, but you never belong somewhere. Only now at 40 am I rediscovering my, my, my Quebec home sort of roots. And we've just bought a new uh, a new house in, in going back home, so to speak, in, in Quebec. And, um, but you never really belong anywhere. So like standing still is hard, uh, not doing something is hard, um, you know, and then, and then combine sort of male hormones that, you know, um, I, I just, I feel bad for my parents. Oh my God. <laughs> like, like the amount of, the amount of craziness I took them through as a young boy moving around, not anchored and just like a, like just a mini tornado everywhere. I think that was probably my biggest challenge is, um, you know, I've, I've been told quite a few times by teachers that I would end up in jail. Um, cause I just didn't fit the system very well. And why do you think was that then? What was it? Was it like the lack of stability and what was it then? I think if people followed rules their whole lives, we, you know, think, think about it this way. If the people that invented the light bulb, well, whether it's Edison or others and like everybody that contributed to that problem, God, if they listened to rules, we'd have the best candles in the world today, right? We wouldn't have the light bulb. Like we'd have the best candles. We'd have the best horse buggies on the planet you know, but nobody would have invented the automobile. I think everybody that's been called crazy or dysfunctional or doesn't fit into the box ends up leading change. By no means am I, do I want to get into to politics and I'm, I'm not here to judge, but like, you know, George Bush was always told he'd be a high school dropout and he ended up being the president of the United States. Never mind if we think he was good or not, but the fact is, is he still ended up being the president of the United States. Tesla CEO is out of the box. Like I just never, you know, I kind of never disrespected the box that people tried to put you in. Um, but never pay too much attention to it. So if you go to school, and, and by no means for those of you that are listening, am I saying school is not important and you shouldn't listen to your teacher? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in Canada, the teachers are there to teach you a curriculum. And, and the pace of change that we're undergoing today, that curriculum is usually out of date two, three years later, yet we're still teaching things that are 20, 30 years old. And the way we teach is sit down and listen for seven hours. Well, as an adult, I hate doing that. I hate the Zoom stuff all the time. So can you imagine if you're 11, 12, and 13, and you you are being told to sit down and listen all day long? I think our educational system needs a full refresh. Did you get discrimination from that? You know, that, that sort of attitude of go-getter. Uh, I like that attitude about you because this is, this is how you change the, the system, the tech ecosystem, actually, in your country. When you were, you know, in, in government, you had this attitude of, like, something new, and everybody was praising you for that. Yeah. And it's funny because everybody was praising me for that. And then at the same time, if we wanted to do stuff with cloud technology and we canceled the company's mainframes contract for like hundreds of millions of dollars, they call the prime minister and complain about it. Right. Um, and, and the reason I bring that example up is change is going to upset people no matter what. Um, so was I discriminated early on? I wouldn't call it discrimination. Definitely labeling right? Like when your teacher says that uh, to your parents that I'm going to, you know, I need to get a severe course correction or I'll end up in jail or, uh, you know, we had, uh, uh, I had severe ADHD. It was very hyper and the doctors were like, you know, your child needs to go on meds and my parents chose to put me in sports instead. Like there's just been a series of labels that, you know, I, you know, they just chose not to listen to really. Um, I, you know, not, not to get too personal, but when I, I ice hockey, very contact physical sport at, um, 17 i broke my neck uh i was uh i was playing some very competitive level of hockey and uh, i missed a semester of school and the doctors told my parents i would never walk again and 
you know, again, it was another label and mm-hmm. here I am running, playing and everything. You know, I have, I can't look at screens for too, too long. Cause I get massive headaches. They're left over from my 17 year old concussions and broken neck. But like, it just felt like growing up, there was always labels. You know? Are you saying and, that, for example, it's really mis- underestimating you all the time and then you always uh, prove, prove them right. Right. Well, it, not always, but like, it just feels like life will take care of closing doors for you. You should never be closing doors on yourself. Like you should say yes to everything. Never say no. Um, that's been sort of my experience and it's maybe come from, uh, the fact that, you know, you get labeled so early, you, you get told you're, you're never going to be a doctor. You're never going to do this. Girls can't do that. Um, it's a very patriarchal sort of based system here in the country The the top people that run companies top to talk to the top politicians and, you know, change is hard. And, um, and, and we now live in a completely different world where we've gone digital increasingly And we're moving away from industrial-based economies, which used to be about people and resources and putting them all together. Now it's about ideas. So why is the old system trying to tell you what you can or can't do all the time? It just seems like it's a natural reaction that, for me, my experience has been, um, you know, the age thing has been what I've been discriminated against. And people have just put labels on it or do some more time and you'll learn and you'll be like us. And it's like, well, that's the last thing I want to do is be like you. And the last thing you should be encouraging is for me to be like you. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so I don't, I don't want like, and I've realized that over the years, like, and, and I'm, I'm guilty of doing it myself to my children, right? Like mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. Um, increasingly over the last few years, I've, I've gotten a bit wiser and I'm, I want them to choose their path. But at first it was like, no, you have to take science. You know, you have to keep all your doors open and nothing wrong with taking science or not taking science. But like, if you're miserable, then that's not fun. (laughs) So, so, so you're guilty of doing it yourself as a parent. So it's a tough model to break, but it's one that personally I've just been imposed a lot, you know? And to answer your earlier question around, was I discriminated as, as a younger person? I, I think, and I listen, I am, I am, part of the problem i am i am a white dude uh and increasingly an old white dude (laughs) so uh, a bit balder a bit rounder um i can tell you that what i've experienced in my career is a micro micro element of what i'm sure either women in tech have felt for example or black canadians have felt you know um so so i i'm not professing in any way shape or form that this is relatable um, but my, the experiences I've felt is I've always been the youngest in my positions. So I've either been the youngest as a director general in government, the youngest in charge of national museums, the youngest uh, vice presidents in company, the youngest deputy ministers. And I think the system, and I say the system, and it, it could be the system of a big company, the system of government, doesn't realize that even it discriminates. Even in Africa, it's the same. You know, even in Africa, it's, it's so important what you're saying right now. Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. But it's really important. I just want to say that it's, it's everywhere. And it and and we don't and I didn't notice it because my my reaction was, well that's a great that's great my opinion's different and I'm just going to forge ahead, and I found that that took a toll on me, uh, you know and like I it's uh, it, it it took a personal toll on my perception of things, people just didn't realize they would do it, right well you know this is you know I I went from private se- government to private sector to government and now back to private sector and every time I've changed sectors they're like well you have to learn how we do things and and every sector has been the same if there's something common between the two government and private sector is that they all think that they're different um and and what 
you need to do in life is actually experience different things in order to get a much better perspective. And increasingly I'm gaining that perspective because I've been either fortunate or unfortunate enough to change sectors a lot. But so combine the youth with changing sectors and my jobs a lot. I, I often see very quickly the sort of the white blood cells and big systems. And, and I'm not saying that there's no intended racism or sexism, by the way, I'm not saying that's not real. I'm just saying the stuff I experienced. Also ageism, because I think ageism is totally. also discrimination, right? It's not because racism for me, discrimination, it's not just a uh, color or it's, it's also ageism. As you said, you know, young person, you know, go and sit down, wait for your turn. That, that's discrimination. Well, and it's so it's discrimination and it it's industrial aged economic thinking. And what and what I mean by that is like if you go if you look at what the industrial age a lot of the leadership that's in place in any country today comes from that era. Right? The the tail end of the industrial economy, which is put a lot of people, get a lot of natural resources, create a product and get an output. So so it's all sequence based. It's all things that have to happen in a sequence. It's all the organizations of uh, the, the HR structures of organizations were based around that, around command and control. And we're now moving to an ideas-based economy, a data-driven economy. And, and there's really no reason, and I'm sure there are, and by the way, and I still absolutely want to make my way to, to some of the camps and talk to, to your audience directly one day in my life. Like in the next two, three years, I'm making it a, well, let's, let's get travel back up and going and then we'll, we'll make that a point. But I'm sure there are roadblocks in the camps for people not to be able to do this, but theoretically speaking, we should get it to a point where there's no reason that one of your uh, young girls or boys listening right now can't create the next billion dollar business out of where they, from where they are. I totally agree. I, I spoke to the girls and told them you're, you're coming to the podcast. There was a video of you talking about the future of work that, uh, you know, tomorrow, the, the job of tomorrow will, will are not even created yet. And, but remember these refugees are, you know, 11 years old, uh, some of them are 18 years old, 20, 30, they'll be 20 years, 28 years old. And it's going to be a, a different, you know, global marketplace. So it was really interesting for them to sort of, to see that video. And I asked them, you know, you know, he's, he's very young, like, what do you think in, in 10 years time, you know, you're going to be achieving? And they said, you know, they all talk about digital. Every one of the girls talk, talk about being in the tech sector, getting digital skills, AI, you know, being data analysts. That's, that's what they talked about. I guess one of the best ways of putting it is if you look at the old traditional sector, so hotels, um, there is no way that the, the board of directors of Hilton had in their risk discussion, because they all have these, you know, all these different, you know, they have HR discussions with boards of directors, they have risk discussions, they have strategy discussions. There's no way in the risk discussion that seven, eight years ago, they would have put Airbnb as a risk, right? And, and so, and it took a few people in their basement to create, mm -hmm you know, a billion plus dollar enterprise because mm -hmm. they redesigned, they rethought the core model of everything. So with data, with digital, um, like the opportunity that anybody has is to rethink the model. But just keep in mind when you're going to do that, you're going to challenge the patriarchal system that it was built on. Yes. yes. So whether that is government, whether that is big corporate, you're going to challenge like you, you, you're a thorn in people's sides because you're changing the status quo and that status quo was beneficial for people. Yeah. Um, and so that's why in my jobs, when I wanted to do some changes, I would always incubate and isolate little groups that wanted to change the system because I knew that the big system inadvertently, and it's not targeting an individual, 
mm-hmm. um, in this statement. It's just that the system is so big that they would just quash this new idea because why would the system want to change? It happens all the time. It happens even now in the in, in COVID-19. The reason why we're here, I mean, most of our girls, for example, you know, I mean, this is 20 years of failure in getting young girls from marginalized communities who have access to connectivity, infrastructure, content. I mean, they could have done this 20 years ago. I've been begging them for 20 years. And just after COVID-19, they realized, oh my God, 750 million girls and boys don't have access to education. What are we going to do? You know, girls are not going to school. Children are having mental health issues. What are we going to do? So many problems. But as you said, it's, it's a systematic problem that we didn't even look into for years. And now everybody's rushing to go virtual and digital. <laughs> but it shows, and I'm not criticizing governments, but it just shows that we are bringing industrial age thinking to a digital reality in a lot of cases, right? Because I'm not saying that you don't invest in clean water, that you don't invest in roads, that you don't invest in education. But in light of COVID in Canada, you know, like not every Canadian is connected to the internet. A, it's a massive country. Um, B, there's only so many dollars to go around. But like, God, if we would have just all been connected to the internet, we could have flipped on a switch and done telehealth overnight. You know, and we have similar problems, uh, you know, mind you, than, than a lot of different regions. Like there's not a doctor in every village in Canada. There's like a hundred person village in Northern Canada does not have a doctor. Like the closest place to a doctor is a plane, is a plane right away. Um, and not everybody can afford the plane. So like, of course, the internet and telemedicine is the future. Like, stop trying to open government service counters in remote villages and do it through the internet. Even better, automate it. But we're bringing sort of a water gun to fight a forest fire. And we don't have the right mindset as well, I think. No, absolutely not. But some countries do, like Estonia, um, you know, Portugal and others. Like Estonia, you could launch an e-Estonian business today. I heard. From, yeah, from whatever country. You, that means you'll have access to the European Union right? Because your company will be an e-Estonian company. Um, and they encourage you to do that. And you get the benefits of the, uh, of the Estonian economy and the services that Estonia can offer. But they, they're, not, they're not telling you, please immigrate to Estonia. They'd probably tell you, we don't want you to come to Estonia. It's cold seven, eight months of the year. It's dark half the year. Our neighbors are a little <laughs> bit rowdy. Like, yeah. why in God's name would you want to come here? But they've understood that the concept of borders yeah. is an industrial age construct and that the internet floats everywhere. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So, so Mm -hmm. I think the more we see and all the countries that are winning at this digital thing, by the way, are not the, uh, it's not the U S it's not the UK. It's not Australia. It's all these little smaller, nimbler countries. Right. So I think that's an opportunity for your girls and boys. Like, like I think you're starting to see the change, you know? No, I mean, I think, I think that's, you're absolutely right. There's so much, uh, you know, so much opportunity for the boys and girls. I also read that you've received so many accolades in being, you know, a true champion of Canadian technology and a great example of, um, you know, can-do attitude, dynamic public servant. You know, I've been really interested in understanding, um, you know, your thinking about uh, modern intellectual property and data uh, and how do you design policies? I think what you mentioned earlier is really important. We're designing policies right now, for example, that it's hard to design, you know, with the, the wrong mindset. Um, and we both got nominated as digital champions. And why do you think it's really important to start designing policies that is favorable to women and girls? Because my girls, 10 years from now, if you don't get the right policies designed to be favorable for them, it's going to be very hard, Alex. What do you think we, we should do? I think the way public sector designs policy is based, again, on, on an old way of thinking. So you're going to do consultations, right? You're going you're to want to show that you've talked to as many people as possible. 
Um, so you're going to do regional consultations with focus groups. But right there, there's a bias, right? Right there, there's a bias because would you really want to expose ministers to a rowdy bunch of stakeholders, right? So right there, the system's broken. Um, mm -hmm. It's the same when I ran. It happens so I was, all the time. It happens all the time, Alex. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And so because the internet is a double-edged sword, you know, you can gain access to more people and you can gain access to more people. Why not use, you know, it, you know, Canada is one of the most connected countries in the world. We rarely use the internet for real online dialogue. When I was in charge of our some of our national museums, um, you know, I was of the opinion that that any any exhibition we put out on the floor, um, you know, where regardless of what it was, um, had gone through multiple bias lenses. Right? There was no co-development. So so we tried to change things, and we tried to do it by releasing data. So every two hours, we would release all of the new data that we created in the org. It was ugly. It was raw. It was not well managed. But the goal was to try to get as much of our thinking out in the public so we could be challenged you know, and that we could be told by our indigenous populations, hey, like, this isn't how it happened. You know, that's, we could be told by women in tech, well, you're really missing the boat on this one. And you're not, you're not, you're not getting the story right. Um, to democratize sort of heritage a little bit, because even national heritage institutions apply a lens of bias. So yeah. the internet is the great equalizer. So why yeah. we don't use it more for public policy making, I don't know. So what we do is we create all these consultation groups. We take all these photo ops and, and like, are you actually integrating the best thinking, you know? Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I have a personal opinion on that. I think I have my own answer <laughs> to that, but I'll leave it at that. But, um, I, I just, there is absolutely no reason if Canada has an international aid budget, that it doesn't use the internet to talk to your girls and boys in camps right true, now. True, true. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the frustrating things for me right now is, you know, I spend money on a weekly basis to send uh, money for my girls in, in for data and connectivity. And I just think about it. This is like 30 years of, of camp. So many, you know, I, I spend people donating right now on the IM Record website so I can just send data for my girls so they can go on WhatsApp and have access to the IM Record curriculum. It's fascinating for me, it's beyond comprehension. And, uh, and I realize that they don't have infrastructure, connectivity, even if you give them the connectivity, there is no content. So we are now trying to digitalize all of our content so girls can have it online. I just finished having a, a Zoom call with them. I was really fascinated um, by that. How can they be you know, the AI guys tomorrow, the people we, um, you know, we need for them to be part of the global world. I just have no idea. I've got one more question for you. Um, I see, I see right now, you know, you transited, um, you know, now into looking into AI. I'm really excited about that. Um, and, and you're looking into how AI can transform how auditors and the financial regulators, you know, under any fraud and irregularities. That's really, really beautiful. And why, why do you think this is important? I think that properly applied artificial intelligence has the opportunity to create a level set in the world. Um, and so let me explain what I mean by that. Um, Canada and the government of Canada, we were the world's first government ethical AI framework. And it wasn't perfect, okay? But it's a series of questions that before you apply AI to a service, have you thought about these things? And depending on your answer, it gave you a level of risk. Like if we were automating scheduling for the local pool and the chatbot got it wrong, probably not a big deal, you know? 
But if we were doing pre-screening for immigration using AI and we were discriminating, probably a big deal. If we wanted to focus our human lens on the big problems and on the bias. And so what AI has done, I think, in society over the last five years is is given us a mirror onto ourselves. And, and it's what we do. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, the creator of facial recognition, I, th- I think it was at Microsoft. I believe it was, the story is at Microsoft and it's nothing to do wrong with Microsoft, but I believe it was a black woman and uh, the facial recognition discriminated against her. As the, yeah, she's as MIT. The, I, saw, I saw her, her TED talk. She's MIT and basically yeah, it was, it, she, actually I've, I've shown the, the TED talk to the girls. She had to like wear a white mask to, for to be recognized. It was fascinating. The question becomes now, what do we do with that mirror, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do we cover it up because we don't like... Um, what we see. What we see. Mm-hmm. Uh, can the patriarchal system change? Um, because, you know, the data is coming from somewhere and it's coming from us. It's like, oh, we've seen the enemy and it is us. <laughs> like, what do we do now? <laughs> so I, I think that's why it's important, not just in financial markets, not just in service, but like people are freaking out and they're scared about AI and we should be because like it's reflecting our son to ourselves. So not to get too philosophical, but I think that's why it's so important. Um, and I think the problem that we have now is there's a lot of big corporations doing a lot of things in this space without government keeping up either on regulation, on policy, on legislation. And there is a big, big knowledge gap between you know, tech world and governments, and it could create massive imbalances. And I think that's why this space is so fascinating. Why do you think this is so important, especially if we're going to be talking about you know, marginalized communities, refugees, uh, you know, 80 million refugees across the world. And in the refugee camps, basically AI play a massive role because of the, the ID card. They call them the alien cards. So to become a refugee, you have to have a alien card and even to come to Canada some of our refugees you know apply to come to Canada so wh- why do you think it's important to put this human lens now on, on AI oh like what if Canada gets it wrong and it discriminates involuntarily against a certain parts of the populations in the world and we didn't mean to so I think you can't turn it over to machines completely I think there always needs to be humans on on the the but the finger on the button so to speak but um you know Understanding that we bring our own biases to the equation, uh, you know, means that who, so who, whose fingers on the button? So, so is it governments? Well, we've shown that that we discriminate and worse, right? If you look at history, so whose fingers on that button? Uh, how do you govern that? You know, and so that's why I think it's important because I don't know, like, like what if we, what if we discriminated involuntarily as Canada against a large part of a Haitian population in the Caribbean, um, in inadvertently, you know, for some reason I don't know, maybe. Maybe there's facial features and colors and, you know, gender. And all of a sudden, like, we're only letting in males from Haiti, from Haiti, you know, <laughs> like, and I, it's, it's a stupid, it's a stupid, stupid example. But I think that's why it's important. If AI is applied to refugees the way it exists today without this kind of oversight and control, um, I think it could cause more harm than good. Um, and the problem is, is a lot of policymakers don't understand this. Like we've come to a world where the technology is the policy. And traditionally, if you were a policymaker, you didn't have to worry about tech. You had somebody else take care of that, but it happens so fast that technology has to be at the policy table. And in most governments in the world, it's not. I, I, I do agree. I mean, I, I'm always pushing for 
you know, government to design policies that are favorable to women and girls when it comes to job, education. That, that's really important. We've got a couple of more questions left for you. Uh, in Kakumo Refugee Camp, we have young girls and boys who love to go to Canada, actually. They, they love Canada. You know, Canada is, is an open country, and, and the first place they want to go and immigrate is actually. Why do you think Canada is a tolerant and welcoming country? I know you had some issues lately about racism and things like that, but why do you think it's tolerant? I, I see Canada as a very tolerant country. I love Canadians, very polite people. But, but do you have any, you know, can you tell our girls why do you think your country is tolerant? Listen, I would live nowhere else but Canada. Can I just start by saying that? I think it's been, Canada's been lucky to be a, a have economic country in the age of industrial economies. We have water, trees, oil, like we've been fortunate. We've been the neighbors of one of the biggest economies in the world. So everybody directly or indirectly has prospered from that. Um, so I'll start by saying that. Um, but like, I think what we're realizing is we're not perfect. We've, we have a dark history of mistreating indigenous population. We did not treat Japanese Canadians very well during the second world war. So listen, are we like other countries that have far worse records? Absolutely. I'm hoping though, that what Canada can do differently is have a dialogue around these things without it creating divisions like we're seeing in other countries like deep deep division and that we could actually make this place better because i do think we're we've, we've shown that we can be good at talking and being honest brokers internationally and it's probably time to do that to ourselves now um you know there, we we're seeing you know um systemic racism and listen i i was Maybe in a way I was a part of it. I used to say all the time, like, I, I, I'm happy my children don't see color because they, you know, they have friends of all different backgrounds. And now I'm realizing maybe saying that was the wrong thing. Yeah, that was, that's not something to, yeah, I, I had this debate. Someone said to me, ah, don't, you know, a friend of mine was saying it. I said, no, don't say that. <laughs> we all see Right. <laughs> and, and it's easy. And it's easy for me to say as a white dude, because the system's built for me. Right. So, and, but like, could I have said that five years ago, probably I would have been debating it, but like now I'm not even debating it. So, so, so hopefully the difference with Canada versus other countries in this time of reckoning around, around racial inequality, um, that we're, we kind of open up our eyes a little bit and bring that international reputation to ourselves a little bit. Yeah, the Black Lives Matters movement in Canada is, is quite is quite good, actually. I've seen that. I don't know if I could say there's progress being made, but there's certainly a light being flashed on the issue in a good way. Um, I don't think we've done sufficiently on gender, and I don't think we've done sufficiently on age. Age is the one that we never talk about. You know, age is the one where we quash new ideas and youth, and there's very few trampolines and protective umbrellas for youth coming through our systems, young leaders and corporate or uh, public. And, um, so I, I think there's a long way to go. So I'm not trying to discourage any, anybody listening to the podcast to come to Canada. It is the, I love my country. I, I love it because I'm hoping that we could show the right human characteristics to evolve and listen and learn and adjust, uh, you know, keeping in mind that we're not perfect and being humble about the fact that we've done some really bad things as well. We're not immune to everybody around the world has mistreated their indigenous populations. Well, so has Canada. What would you say to the young girls and boys who are still, um, you know, love Canada and want to come. For example, one of the Mona Chapelle, in, I really hope that Alex, I will bring you to Kakuma. So one of a Canadian, Mona Chapelle, I'm sure you have heard about him, Mr. Chapelle. So he's got a school 
in Kakuma refugee camp where amazing girls have are, are benefiting from the Canadian hospitality support. Um, and I think he was part of the government, I don't know. But, but you know, they love Canada, the girls. Uh, and that school is actually in the middle of Kakuma refugee camp, beautiful girls. And then that, that's Canadian investment. Yeah, I would say I would say come and make Canada better. If you do come to Canada, come with the best of yourself. And I say that because if you bring the best of yourself, you'll help to contribute to the change that's underway. Um, we're we're not a we're not a perfect country, but we're we do need all the help we can get uh, to make this place better. And so, if you do end up coming to Canada, come with the intent of contributing in the sense of like don't listen to the old systems that'll tell you this is how we do things here. Come and bring your best ideas, bring your best thinking, and. Uh, your best open heart and uh, and and be part of what I hope continues to be a good journey for Canada into the future and that we could fix some of the things that we need to fix and continue to uh, to export Canadian values abroad as much as possible. What is um, humanity for you? I think if we are good humans, we will listen more than we'll talk. We will forgive more than we'll hold grudges and carry weight with us. And we'll think about our answers in the context of showing love and kindness to others as opposed to what the patriarchal system has shown us up until now, which is to think about oneself first. So I think in the middle of showing more love and kindness to others as opposed to uh, receiving and to actually listen more than we're talking, I think I think you're a better human for it. And I think you could contribute more that way. I think we're seeing globally that leaders like the Prime Minister of New Zealand can show empathy and be a strong leader in that. You don't need to necessarily be the bold, strong leader. I think we're seeing a different kind of leadership emerge from a new generation, and I think that's good. So what would you... I know that you're not going to be in Kakuma very soon, but we'll get you there. What would you say to the girls? I mean, you can say something about you giving them encouragement, talk about yourself and say, I'm here for you. Yeah, I would say the number one thing I would say for anybody who has an idea, a thought, a dream, is to follow your heart, follow your gut. The amount of times I've been told you can't do this, or we don't do it this way, or you should learn this before. And, and you don't be disrespectful. Um, you listen, because sometimes there's reasons why things are done a certain way. But if you believe in something that it could be done better, or that you have an idea that needs to be put to the table, then follow your heart and follow your gut. Too many times I've changed sectors, I've changed jobs, and I've been told this is how we do it, never mind how you learned before. And at the beginning, I used to listen to that, because I wanted to please. And after a while, what you realize is that, you know, maybe the way you thought you could have done it yourself would have been better and you didn't follow your gut, you didn't follow your heart. So make sure that if you believe in what you're doing enough, um, that you remain humble, that you remain respectful, but that you challenge the status quo nonetheless, and that you actually do follow your heart and your gut and that you take, you know, ownership of what happens next, because sometimes it can be good and sometimes it can be bad. But do follow your gut and your heart in absolutely everything. And last bit, how do you keep yourself balanced? At the moment, the girls, uh, you know, they, uh, they go for running and walking. How do you keep yourself balanced and zen? You know, I, I went away from sports for a while and it wasn't very good for me. So I went back to physical activity. I am actually a, a practicing um, Zen Buddhist uh, on my time. So for me, it helps me kind of deal with letting things go, uh, which I'm very bad at. Like I, I'm practicing failing, I should say. Uh, so for me, those are examples of things, um, you know, and uh, so was, yeah, so those are for things for me that keep me, keep me grounded, do a, quite a bit of uh, Zen Buddhist uh, reading as well, uh, or, or just history reading, because I still love history. So uh, I'm increasingly realizing that this concept of working 15, 20 hour days doesn't make you a better leader. If anything, it makes you a worse human. 
Um, and so here we are. <laughs> so 2030, we're hoping that the girls will invite you and myself at the United Nation. I'll be 56 years old, probably, you know, I'll be 56. And, um, and do you oh have God, like... I'll be 50. <laughs> <laughs> that hurts. Yeah. Is it anything you can visualize because you are a digital person and you, you're always a thinker, you're thinking ahead of everyone else. You know, do you, can, you, can you imagine the girls standing up at the United Nation with all these tech um, ideas with them? Do you mind? Do you want to just like give them a little bit of encouragement? Okay, so here's what I would like. I would love to see the UN General Assembly filled with thousands of holograms, your girls and boys in camps, where every seat that has some form of patriarchal assign, uh, you know, appointment has a child beside it or a young woman or a young man in virtual form and they can't run from it, right like that would be and okay maybe a couple of people for real physically like obviously like why not go to new york like who you know why not but you know i would love to see the hall filled with more people than you can bring you know in a traditional meeting. that's the dream for 2030 we're definitely gonna do that for you so alex bennett thank you so much for coming to the i am the code podcast oh norris thank you for having me it's been fun you know, one of the things I've been learning from Alex is that technology has no gender, no age, no color, no class. And I've been saying this for so long. We are building the world's biggest pipeline of technologists. And I know personally that we are doing a service to humanity by including the less fortunate girls and boys living in refugee camps, in favelas, in slums. People that need to be included in the digital evolution. And we are working with leaders like Alex who are aware of their privilege and taking responsibility. With them, our girls will have a chance. You have been listening to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mariam Jam. Join me very soon for another I Am The Code episode. You know, Alex hasn't invented himself so many times. There is time for you and an opportunity for you to reinvent yourself. Please check our website, follow us on Twitter, and Instagram and Facebook. Thank you so much for being here and goodbye.